This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Meeting on the Mound with Kyle Gibson. We are on the team flight from Seattle to L.A. after winning three out of four in Seattle. And uh, the guy who's going to get us started in L.A. is our guest today. He's going to be here on the pregame show for a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about baseball, a little bit about life, uh, and maybe even some t- TV shows. But Jake Odorizzi is our guest this week. Jake, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Gibby, it is such an honor to be here on your esteemed podcast. I am really excited for our talk and shop and really <laughs> filling the fans in on what's going on on Team Flights. <laughs> well, that is ultimately the goal. We'll, uh, we're going to go with a little bit of uh, background questions first. Grew up from in Highland, Illinois. Safe to say you were a Cardinals fan at that time? Big Cardinals fan. I was very fortunate to grow up around the St. Louis area because that's what taught me baseball was the Cardinals. And that was kind of the staple, still kind of holds true to the staple of baseball. They sell out every game, the understanding of the game, cheering for a visiting team for something done well. So I think I was pretty lucky to grow up in a very neutral city of baseball liking where you like your team more than everybody else but you also appreciate good baseball when it's not your team who are some of the players that you watched growing up you were a shortstop as well so name a couple of those players that you really enjoyed watching cardinals or non-cardinals shortstops i think the obvious shortstops are jeter and garcia parra was one that i liked back in the day um cardinal shortstop back way back was royce clayton Ooh, yeah, yeah, and then it transferred to uh, Rafael for call later on. The you know, closer to me being in high school, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, those are the guys I liked infield wise. Um, another guy I really liked, still pretty recent, Jimmy Rawlings was always a guy I really enjoyed watching play for whatever reason. I didn't get to see him that much, but I saw highlights, and you know, it seemed like he was a guy that was always in the right spot at the right time kind of a less talked about person that's not a quote-unquote superstar like Jeter but uh yeah I enjoyed watching him play a lot but uh pitching wise I like Matt Morris a lot that's a throwback name I as I grew older and figured out pitching and it was something I did well he was the guy I tried to think about and emulate of a guy that I think I could pitch like as I started learning myself another guy towards the end of my high school career that I really liked watching were Adam Wainwright, big one. He was, you know, still is to this day in the game, so I've had an opportunity to actually pitch against him and hit off of him. So that was a weird <laughs> scenario for me as a Cardinal fan and a Wainwright fan. But uh, another guy was Chris Carpenter, too. He was seemed like he got the ball in every big game for the Cardinals and always pitched well just a good group of guys to kind of emulate pitching after being a Cardinal fan. So I grew up in Indianapolis. I was a kind of a, a Reds fan as a kid, but then a Cubs fan through high school. 
So believe me, I know all about those 03 to 08 Cardinal teams that were just loaded with players, uh, Wainwright and Carpenter being two of them, uh, and they really impacted the Midwest with their baseball without a doubt. Um, you are drafted by the Brewers in 2008 after having just an incredible senior year. Gatorade Player of the Year, I'll pick that, that up for you right there. Uh, we talk about that quite a bit jokingly, but you had committed to go to Louisville. Tell us about that decision to either go to Louisville or sign with the Brewers at high school. Yeah, um, as you know, a lot of things go now. It's it's life changing decisions for high school players that are 18 years old. How do you pick the right path? And you know, I sat down and really thought about what I wanted to do in life, and obviously, what I wanted to do is play professional baseball. So when the opportunity presented itself there i didn't see any reason to to not go in that direction if you wanted to be there there's only speed bumps that could happen if you went to college or something may or may not happen at least you gave it everything you had to play professional baseball and then you can always go back to college as a student and that's the way i always i always viewed it so i took the chance and decided you know i, I wouldn't go to college and I think it was, you know, the right decision then, and I obviously still think it's the right decision now. But uh, mentally, I was prepared to go into pro ball. I think that's something that might get overlooked for another family or another player or whoever it is making decisions on this. Is the mental capacity for going from high school to Helena, Montana, <laughs> or you know, Casper, Wyoming, whatever. That was kind of my first taste of pro ball. Is it's not as glamorous as it seems, and you have to prepare yourself for the road and what it might come to. But everybody, you know, paved their way one way or the other. So it was, uh, it was not a very tough decision from my standpoint. But I'm glad I made the right decision. Now, when you talk about the mental side, you know, a lot of guys think, and this is kind of how the team sells us: Hey, we're going to draft you. We're going to get you up to the big leagues. You're going to help the big club. You were the 34th or 32nd overall pick. I mean, you were a first-round supplemental guy with the Brewers. Well, you make it to double-A or, or high-A maybe, and you get traded to the Royals in the Zach Greinke trade. You end up debuting with the Royals, and then you get traded again to the Rays, and then you have a couple really good years with the Rays, and then you get traded again to the Twins. So you talk about the mental side. How do you go through that as a, a 20-year-old getting traded and then traded three more times after that? What's that like? Um, the first one's the toughest. I just finished low A with the Brewers in 2010. And you always think the team that drafts you is the team you're going to pitch in the big leagues for. And, you know, you always hear people talk about you're always playing for 29 other teams, no matter what. Everyone's always watching. Whatever you do can impact your career positively throughout, you know, different teams' view of you. So... You know, I didn't take it to heart at the time. I was a kid. I thought I was going to, you know, breeze through the minor leagues and pitch for the Brewers and wear navy and gold. And that's how it was going to be, pitching Miller Park. And then a December phone call later, it, uh, I'm in Kansas City and trying to figure my way through that organization. And, you know, it was uh, two years there, just like it was two years in Milwaukee. Another December night phone call, and I'm in Tampa. So the – I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. I think the best way to put it is you you buy a lot of gear for the teams that you're currently on, and at the end of playing or during playing, you find out that you're going to have a basement full of a lot of stuff if you keep getting traded. <laughs> so I have 
you know, four different teams' things and jerseys with my name on it. And I think it's a good reminder of how baseball as a business is run that you can't get too attached to physical things. You're playing baseball, and baseball is relatable through each club, each city, whatever it may be. So just because you may be wearing a different jersey, it's still the same game. So it makes for cool collectibles over the year, but it's just always a reminder that somebody might like what you're doing, and it only takes one team to really like you to keep you around for a very long time. Great stuff. Love that. All right, so let's move on to, to kind of the last, you know, four or five years. Consistency and being above average as a starter has been a staple year in and year out for you. I'll brag on you a little bit. Last year, you know, we talked through it a little bit, but it was probably one of your most difficult MLB years. You were an average big league starter, which is by all means a great year for a lot of guys. Um, but this year has kind of been one of the best stretches of your career. I don't know if you think of it the same way, but what are some of those adjustments you've made? I know we've talked a lot about the Florida baseball ranch and stuff, but fill everybody in on some of the adjustments you feel like you've made mentally and physically. Mentally, you have to have the the brain power, the, the wherewithal to be able to flush a season down the drain and not think about it because the longer you let something loom, the more it can grow, the more it can spread. There are so many you know adjectives that you could describe a bad thought as, but you just have to get it out of your brain and move on because each year is something new. I mean, you see it all the time. There's bad years, there's great years, there's years in between, but each year is each year. It's not the defining year, it's not your career, it's one piece of something moving forward. So I took it upon myself to try some new stuff with Randy Sullivan, as you know very well, down in Florida, and we worked on getting my mechanics back in order because that's where I thought that I struggled last year was trying to do too much with my arm and not letting my body work how it should work. So did some mobility exercises, separation of the upper lower half, which in tune lets you be more accurate with your with your pitches, gives you a better finish on everything. So it just gives your stuff a chance to take that leap forward. And I feel like I'm back to where I was at in 15 and 16 when I thought I was at my very best in the big league. So the work that went into it was a risk, sure, but it was a risk that was an important time in my career as a player, as a teammate, as everything. Knowing that I had one last year before free agency as a twin, I wanted to make it a great year for everybody else on this room because I thought we were going to have a quality team. But with the stuff that was being done, it would be doing a disservice if you weren't at your top of the game, just like we all are. We all want to do our best. We all want to win, and there's 24 other guys that depend on you. So that was my mindset was to improve myself while improving the team, and I think we've all done a pretty good job of rectifying some things over the years, and especially this year, everyone kind of feeds off of each other. So it was a uh, you know it was a big off season. I think that's a lot of season left, but we're off to a good start, and I I feel you know the best I've felt in years. So. I mean, I would think this would be a really hard thing for you, especially because of the of the four years you'd had prior. How do you fight the complacency and how do you fight the, you know what, it was one year, it's not a big deal, I'm going to come back out and next year it's going to be fine. How do you go from that mindset to saying, you know what, no, I'm going to go see Randy, I'm going to go work on this, he's an hour down the road, I'm going to go and do it and go take the risk. 
I think the experience and not being bold, like cold headed, pig headed, that thinks that I'm good enough, I can figure this out on my own because truth be told, I needed somebody to help me and give me something that I do. I've been doing the same type of stuff in the off seasons and it wasn't bad stuff, but it was, I, you need that new push that something new that could change your mindset as a pitcher, as a player, whatever it is. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm not one to, you know, gloat about self-made or self-whatever it is. There's been a lot of people that have helped me get to where I am at this point in my career. So that doesn't stop once you make it to the big leagues. There's still plenty of guys that can help you improve. And if you're not trying to get better, then what's the point in playing, you know? So it was, um, it was something that I thought was necessary. Plus, I got to see how well it worked out for you the year before. So it wasn't exactly... Like I had, I, it was a complete stranger. It was somebody that, you know, I trust your opinion and he did so well on you. So obviously that's all I needed to know. Um, let's go to the angels here. It doesn't really happen a whole lot during the course of a season, but every now and then you face the same team back to back from start to start. You're going to do that this time with the angels What's your decision-making like? Are you a guy that is going to uh, look back and make adjustments ahead of time and switch up the game plan? Or are you a guy that's going to say, you know what, it worked for the majority of the outing. I'm going to go back and do what I did and see how they're going to approach this game today. I'm a guy who I want to see how the first batter of the game goes. Typically, with facing the team a second time, they all have the same type of a meeting. So if you, if they prepare for you, you're preparing for them. The first guy was in the meeting and has the same approach that everybody else was told about. So you can get, learn a lot from the first batter of the game and how they're going to approach you. So I think it's one of those things where you remember what you did last time, keep that in mind. And if it's presents itself again, you go there. If not, there's always a way out and you got to find it. So you work a different way and you get out. I mean, I, I think that's, you don't overthinking it before a start can kind of be a bad thing that you think you have to do wholesale changes when, you know, maybe a better executed pitch from the first game changes your entire outing and mindset going into the second. Okay. Well, I'm going to do a couple quick hitting baseball questions. Then we're going to get into the meat of this podcast. The last couple minutes. First one uh, what is your favorite stadium to pitch in? Who? Favorite stadium. Um, Results-wise, I pitched really well in Oakland. And I, I don't know if it's because there's a gigantic amount of foul territory. This, the, the field is larger. The backstop feels really close when I pitch there. So it's one of those places where you're comfortable on the mound and when you're comfortable and you have good results, it becomes one of like, it becomes one of your favorites and you don't forget about it. But, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, Oakland and I work really well together. So hopefully that tends to continue. And for a point of reference, Oakland might be just about everybody's least favorite stadium to pitch in just because of that facilities being so old. But I like that part. Uh, and this is going to be a tough one, but who would you say is either your favorite or your most impactful teammate that you've played with throughout your career? Ooh, that is very tough. Um, and it can be a couple of them, too. It doesn't have to be one. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one of the most impactful would be Alex Cobb. Um, 
back in 2014 as I was trying to crack the rotation out of spring training. He taught me the split finger pitch that I throw now, and it really gave my career a huge boost because I never had a changeup. And I tried everything, and once I got traded to Tampa, he threw it, so I talked to him about it. I thought I could do it, and he showed it to me. We worked on it all spring, and I, lo and behold, I made an opening day roster, and I haven't been down since. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for being a selfless teammate and showing me something that, you know, was kind of his bread and butter when he did so well. He didn't have to share it with me. He could have told me to get lost or whatever it was. But uh, to have a guy like that, you know, go out and teach somebody something, it's really resonated with me. So now I'm always trying to help somebody out that maybe a teammate now, an ex-teammate, somebody that needs pitching advice, I'm always willing to give it because somebody gave it to me and I want to help somebody out the way I was helped out. Another one, David Price was really big for me. Just the, the competitiveness, the fire that he showed, he wanted to be the best every single time out there. We were teammates, him coming off of a Cy Young year. So when I got to see a Cy, being in a rotation with a Cy Young winner and how they prepared, how they went about doing what he did, the 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 quiet cockiness about the, his game and the intensity that he pitched at is a big envy of mine. And then one last one, I know I'm missing a lot of guys, but, you know, it's, as you can see, it's a lot of rotation mates that I had in Tampa when I was just coming up and learning. So it's, you know, I had Drew Smiley, Matt Moore, but one of my biggest ones and one of my best friends to this day is Chris Archer. We were both trying to make the team in 13. Did not. Neither of us did. So we were in Durham together, and we were rotation mates in Durham. We really got to get to know each other. And we were teammates from then until I was traded last year. So the hours that we spent together talking about pitching, life, everything, it's its one of those things where you form a special bond with somebody. And if we don't talk for a month and we don't talk for six months, we can pick up and go right from there. We talk more often than that. But, you know, the friendship that I've made with him will be something that will last forever. Last uh, baseball-related question. During baseball season – What's the hardest thing about being a dad and a husband? The the fact of we're we're getting to play a game, we're on the road, we're all laughing, we're all having a good time, and your wife, your kids are back home or back in Minnesota, wherever they are, and she's working her tail off <laughs> to support two kids that are young. You have young kids, I have young kids. It's 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 one of those things where it. <laughs> It's very hard to balance. Like it gives you that extra motivation that, you know, what we do is, is hard and tough, but what they're doing and not getting the publicity for something that's harder than what we're doing is a factor that doesn't, you know, get forgotten by me. So when we get home, I want to do as much as I can to try to take the burden off of, you know, Carissa and I want to see my kids or, you know, and they want to do everything nonstop and, it's, it's definitely tough during a season to go say goodbye to them for a week and see they, they grow so much. They do everything. But for, for our wives, all of our wives that have kids and no fan, you know, it's it's them and the kids. It's it's a hard thing to do. And you want to talk to them as much as you can just to keep that sanity and keep 
keep telling them, you know, they're doing a fantastic job because that's what kind of keeps us together. Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So before we get into Game of Thrones, I want to give somebody who maybe doesn't want spoilers just a few seconds to turn this off. Uh, not sure if Jake's going to give us any, but don't want to ruin it for somebody who doesn't want any. So thanks for listening so far. And uh, when you finish up Game of Thrones, you can come back. All right, so let's get into the meat of this interview here. Uh, you know this about me. I'm not a Game of Thrones watcher. All right, I've never started. I don't know why. Um, but after those, after the baseball talk, let's move on. I don't even need to ask you what your favorite show is right now. The season finale is tonight. We're going to land. You're going to watch it on HBO Go. You're going to get your dinner, probably room service, toes up, watching Game of Thrones, no doubt. Who's your favorite character on the show? Ooh, favorite character. That's a tough one. There's, like, the dynamic of so many characters has changed over the years. And you see how people change. I think it's been going on for almost close to 10 years now. And I only started watching with the last three years, maybe. So I got to binge it for a while on all these plane rides to pass the time. So I, I was a big fan of uh, Tyrion. He... You know, every, he doesn't battle. He doesn't do anything. The but the the mental side of he's like the brains behind everything and the wittiness. I appreciate really witty comments and love subtle humor. He's one of my favorites. Um, I'm not going to spoil things for people who haven't seen the show. The Hound is another great character. He's one that's morphed over years of being a real well for long story a killer and then. <laughs> turns into a, a very huge point of the, of the show and sticky points, but then there's always the main characters of John and Arya and everything. There's there's a lot to like about the show, so it's very tough to pinpoint just one. They, they all bring something that makes the show what it is. Alright, so you're not going to be given a spoiler because I mean, we're doing this interview before it even starts. Alright, so this is going to air tomorrow. I need you to tell me who's going to be sitting on the throne. Give me a few predictions. And we're going to look back tomorrow, post game, and we're going to see how you did. The not <laughs> the, the prediction I don't want to happen, but I can see happen, which is everybody's dead. <laughs> Everybody dies. The show goes black. Nobody wins. Everybody's mad. That sort of thing, and. I hope that's not it. I don't think it will be, but I can see a big curveball coming and whatever it may be. Just a hard fade on the throne. Nobody sitting on it to black. Done. The throne burns and the show's over with. Um, truthfully, I I think that John will be the, the winner, if you will, the king. He's got all the credentials. He's got, uh, you know, the the honor code that goes with it. I think he's the logical choice says he doesn't want it. And then when TV shows say they don't want something, they end up probably getting it. So, uh, you know, I guess if that's the case, I should say, I don't want us to win the world series and maybe it'll happen for us in that same dynamic. But uh, I, I think John will, John will win. It'd um, be, end up being the King. All right. So we're going to have a little bit of fun here to end. I want you now. You're going to make these comparisons, and I, you might have to explain it a little bit, but I have no idea. All right. So if I'm one of these characters, you're going to need to tell me why. But I need you to compare 
some of your teammates, past or present, to these characters that I throw out. Okay? All right. First one, the mountain. Oof. Um, the mountain would probably be on this current team, Sano. He's the biggest guy on the team, most likely the strongest guy on the team. Um, that's kind of his MO in the show. You know, everybody's afraid of him because of his size, his power, everything. If you see Sano in person, he's got size, he's got power. Uh, so I would have to say him. The Hound. <laughs> um, well, the Hound is the mountain's brother. So who would be Sano's brother on this team? Um, gosh. The Boomstick, Nelly. I would say that, but the Hound's the younger brother. So for the fact of forgetting age, you would have to go with Nelly because he's slightly less as big as Sano is, but the Hound is a is a more beloved character, so Nelly's got that sweetheartness about him, so he's going to get the uh, be the younger, older brother in real life, but we'll go with Nelly. <laughs> all right, so uh, we all, not everybody, everybody on the team knows that Brienne of Tarth could be Hildy's favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you compare Brienne of Tarth to? Um... Let me see. That is a great question. Well, I'm going to have to go with a new guy. Uh, CJ Crone will be Brienne of Tarth for the fact of another large character. She kind of swings the sword pretty well during the show. Been known to defeat some people. And, I mean, that's what we got CJ for, is to swing the sword at the plate, defeat a few teams, hit a few bombs, and uh, kind of go quietly about it. And if you don't know CJ as well as you want to yet, he'll be quiet to you. So we'll go with him. That's his comp. The Night King. Well, that's just pure, pure evil and cold death. So, that's uh, a great question. We can skip it if you don't want to say one of your teammates is evil. Completely up to you. Yeah, I don't know if we have any evil doers on this on this team, but uh, yeah, I don't think we have a Night King on this team yet. So, all right, that's no problem. <laughs> that's fine. It sounds like a good problem to have. What about Daenerys? Ooh. It's a great question as well. I don't know on her either. She's she's been such a good person, and now she's going bad at the end too. So she's 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 gone she's gone off a deep end. So uh, I'm looking around trying to trying to get my wits about me on who she would be. Mike Herman every now and then goes off the deep end. I mean, I think traveling secretaries or director of team travels and PR staff is definitely in play. Yeah, okay. If, he, if Mike Herman's going to be the uh, Daenerys, then we're going to make Dustin the Night King just because 
they have to fight each other and they're too close to want to actually fight each other so that would be a good bout we could see in the locker room <laughs> i love it all right uh one of your favorite ones Tyrion. yeah uh we're gonna have to go with Astadio because size wise i think he's the closest he's the closest one that would fit the bill uh he's a fan favorite um you know so just for the fact of being fan favorites and one of my favorites we'll go with that uh wittiness he he can get some good chuckles the language barrier would give him more chuckles but he's on the right path for for Tyrion. Arya stark Oof. i think if we're gonna go aria it's gosh. As of right now, we'll go Polanco for Arya because he's really coming through in the clutch, and she came through in the clutch and killed the. I can't say it, but you know she came through pretty clutch in this one of the episodes of this season and took out a pretty substantial character. So I'm, I'm going to go with him. I appreciate you avoiding spoilers. Very good. Last one, maybe the odds-on favorite to uh, take on the throne at the end, Jon Snow. Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer. That was an easy one. Why so easy? The guy lives by a code. He's never done anything wrong. Uh, Everybody envies him. Um, He doesn't want the spotlight. And that is Joe to a T that he is great. John is great. They both don't like the spotlight would rather just take care of business and not be credited for it so if john were a minnesota twin it would be joe mauer <laughs> i love it i love it odo thanks for being on meeting on the mound i really appreciate it good luck today against the angels and look forward to talking to you soon maybe on this show again absolutely it was my pleasure i'm always available i'm sitting seating 12 to 18 inches across from you so I'm always here for uh, for an interview. Thanks, Odo. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.